Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. It's the end of July, roughly the midpoint of summer, and equity markets continue to grind higher with the S&P 500 up another 1% last week. And there's about 3% higher for the month of July. To take stock of why that is happening and how long it could continue, Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office, joining us for the CIO Strategy Snapshot today after a well-deserved week off. So with that, Jason, it's great to have you back here on the podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us to begin another week. Looking forward to our conversation. Good morning, Dan. It's, yeah, it's good to be back. Um, here in the middle of summer, the dog days are about to start, but uh, certainly a lot to discuss. So, Jason, perhaps a good starting point is the Fed, the central bank, did raise another 25 basis points last week and left the door open for another rate hike, potentially in September. So, Jason, what do you believe the Fed will do from here, and what will determine the course for monetary policy? Well, if we start with, you know, what the market is pricing, it's about another 10 basis points of Fed hikes split between kind of doing that in September and in the beginning of November. So not even one full hike is priced into the markets. I think, you know, what the Fed will have, at least for September, is two full months of data for July and August for the labor market data, growth data, and inflation data, and then like three more months by November to make those decisions. What I would say is the bar is relatively high for the Fed to do another hike. You know, meaning if the if the economic data continues to show moderation in the labor market, if the inflation data continues to show you know, a cooling, and these are things that are expected, then the Fed really could basically say, you know, we we can skip uh, September. Then by the end of November, if you get further, or at the beginning of November, if you get further, uh, you know, kind of slow down of activity for the decline of inflation. It's hard for the Fed to sort of justify another hike then. I think that's why you see the market price you know, really less than 50% of another hike. That to me seems like the right kind of scenario. The Fed certainly wants to leave all the options on the table. You know, Jay Powell at the press conference talked about being data dependent. I think that's accurate. You know, and if the data comes in as expected, the Fed probably is done. It really does require then, you know, evidence of inflation not cooling as people are anticipating and the labor market just showing, you know, continued strength where you, know, you could have job growth. Uh, for the next two months, you know, over 200,000, you know, wage growth doesn't show any signs of moderation. That might be enough for the Fed to want to do another hike. But short of that, I think that it's likely that the Fed, uh, you know, is, is done at this point in time. And the markets at this point are really kind of more focused on you know, how long is the Fed going to keep rates at an elevated level? When will it start cutting? Right now, the market's pricing for that to be May of next year. How quickly will it cut? And ultimately, kind of what is its sort of turmoil rate for getting back to like some sort of level of, of neutral. So I think that's where the Fed is, you know, the markets are focused on basically trading on the Fed and being sort of done this, this Fed hiking cycle at this point in time. I think that's given what we expect. That's a reasonable assumption. In some ways, it's a similar story if you look at other major you know, developed central banks, whether it's the ECB in, in the Eurozone, the Bank of England, the Bank of Canada. If they're not done, they maybe have one hike to go. Um, the one outlier we're talking about central banks was the Bank of Japan last week, which announced somewhat surprisingly, uh, at least in terms of the timing, uh, that they would relax a little bit their yield curve control. This is a policy that's been in place for a couple of years where, where basically they'll say, we're not going to let the 10-year yield on the JGB and the 10-year Treasury equivalent to rise above you know, 50 basis points. Um, they've relaxed that to sort of say, we're not going to let it rise above 1%, with 50 being sort of a soft target. Uh, once that happens, it certainly led to temporarily rallying the, in the yen, but also 
if the Bank of Japan isn't buying bonds, it means globally there's sort of another buyer that isn't out there buying bonds. And that's why we've seen yields on at least the 10-year, you know, back up a little bit over the last week. So it's added a little bit of noise. It's the one central bank that's some ways it's getting slightly more restrictive um, as opposed to other central banks that seem to be, be done. But I think even those actions are relatively modest in the grand scheme of, of central bank policy after all this tightening that's taken place over the past year. We're not at the end of the road. It's very, very close at head at this point in time. So central bank policy, in particular the Fed, not the only factor. I say that as we're making our way through the Q2 reporting season, busy week ahead. We're nearing about the halfway point. What do you make of the results we've seen thus far, Jason? Well, the data is coming in sort of as expected. Uh, we're getting you know consistent beats on earnings. That's you know that's typical. It's around I think the high 70s, about 77, 78 percent of companies are beating you know the expectation. And they're beating by about four to four and a half percent, which again is in line to slightly above sort of long-term average. Uh, the data, what we can see is you know resiliency in sort of consumer spending across a range of industries, you know travel, restaurants, you know construction, even some areas uh, you know that had been had a little bit of weakness before, like in cloud computing, uh, you know your PC shipments. Those are also finding some sort of stabilization. Um, so, you know, relatively positive story there. The guidance has also been pretty good. Companies are indicating that, uh, you know, or at least actually keeping up the numbers for Q3. You know, oftentimes, you know, when the companies report for the last quarter, they try to guide down for the current quarter, and then they're able to beat that expectation. They're not really doing that this time, which gives a little bit more confidence in their outlook. Uh, and also, as a net result, you know, the one-year-ahead uh, earnings are also kind of ticked up slightly. So it's a relatively positive story there. Um, and if you take out the energy sector, where there's because of year-over-year effects, yeah, significant drag on earnings growth. Uh, the picture even looks a little bit better in terms of the overall earnings story. Uh, if there was one slight yellow flag in the, in the earnings outcome, it's in the sales numbers. Um, companies, in terms of reported sales, wealth expectations, are a little bit on the disappointing side. It's sort of fewer are beating than typically is the case. But if you look at the market performance of those companies that are falling short of sales numbers, even if their earnings are in line, they're getting a little bit punished by the markets just because there's some concern as, as whether that implies a sign of you know, a softening economy if their sales aren't coming in. It's not a you know, big miss by any stretch, but it's the one area that would be, you know, relatively, relatively good earnings season, the one thing that's a bit of a yellow flag. Um, but we'll add it all up. Really, it looks like the second quarter is going to be the trough of the earnings uh, cycle. On a year-over-year basis, we'll be down about 3 to 5%, um, but it should start to improve from here. And sort of even on the margin front, it looks like the worst of the margin compression is already over. So there's been some kind of concern or expectations that perhaps as inflation comes down, that's going to limit pricing power and therefore that's going to impact corporate uh, profitability. If that's the case, it already feels like that story is somewhat kind of played out. So really now it comes down to you know, the strength of the economy and how much economic activity picks up over the next year. So I think that the bottom line is, you know, from the market perspective, it hasn't been any negative surprises, slightly better than expected, um, and sort of consistent with an economy sort of you know, still holding up really well, perhaps the worst of any story already being passed. If we take a pulse on the economy, talk about what the data has been revealing as of late. Interesting, Jason, investors seem increasingly optimistic or they seem to be embracing the prospect of a soft landing taking shape. From your vantage point, how likely does that look at this point and what would you cite as being the risks to a soft landing not materializing? Well, it's interesting if you take investor perspective on the soft landing possibility, 
at the start of the year it had been you know quite low. If you surveyed investors, you know, by mid-May started to rise, and now I think a majority of investors would say that they actually think that is is their base case. Um, so quite a turnaround in the past you know, now, let's say seven months from uh, the sentiment in terms of how likely that is. And there's justification for that if we see the data continue to come in that is consistent with the economy going down a path towards a soft landing. It's certainly not a done deal by any stretch, but you know the data just even last week further reinforces this possibility. You know, perhaps most critical from that was the inflation data. Uh, last Thursday, we got the employment cost index. This comes out quarterly. It's tied with the GDP numbers that come out. And what it showed was the employment cost index for the quarter was up 1%. If you annualize that, that's you know, roughly 4%. Um, that was the lowest quarterly number in about two years. This number is important because it's the broadest measure of, sort of overall labor costs. And what it's showing, it is kind of coming down. And it continues to sort of trend lower. Uh, it's the number that the public Fed is most kind of concerned with in terms of overall kind of labor market overheating in terms of wage growth. So the fact that it is falling in the lowest level in a couple of years is consistent with you know, a key part of the inflation story also easing off that supports the other data that we've seen over the past month where, you know, with core PC, core CPI data, really kind of, you know, trending lower and looking like they're going to continue to trend lower over the next you know, few months. So that inflation data is, is one of the reasons why the Fed, you know, could be on hold at this point in time. It's also if it needs to go lower, why they could also start to, you know, perhaps, you know, talk about cutting rates, you know, by the end of Q1 of next year, just because of inflation coming down. They have reason to be able to kind of lower their policy rate in order to keep policy from actually getting more restrictive. That's the inflation part of the story. On the growth side, we continue to see, you know, sort of solid consumer activity based on the most high frequency credit card data. We saw durable goods orders, you know, come in, you know, with a, with a positive upside surprise. We're seeing investment in the GDP numbers show, you know, kind of an uptick. So the activity we're seeing in manufacturing investment, that is actually helping to lift, you know, some economic activity. So all told, you know, that data continues to come in well. And even the labor market, the jobless claims are, are relatively low. Um, so we're not still seeing much signs of weakness in the labor market, even if it is cooling, we're not seeing weakness. So all that is consistent with, you know, a soft landing path. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to happen. There are risks and there are sort of uncertainties involved in all this. I think the biggest one really comes down to what is the long and variable lag for monetary policy? We know policy is clearly tight at this point in time. It's going to have an impact down the line. The question is, how long will this take and just how significant it will be? You know, there are upticks in you know, delinquency rates. Uh, you know, and you know, we're going to start to see probably an uptick a little bit in default rates for high-yield bond issuers. But these are still at relatively contained levels. The question is whether that gets significantly bad before the Fed starts to pivot actually to cut rates. Uh, which is why I think a um, soft landing, or at least no recession this year, still looks quite likely. Uh, and the pain is probably, if we get a recession, is not going to be until starting until the first quarter of next year, and maybe even further into next year. Given the current momentum, it's hard to see the economy tipping into recession yeah, by the fourth quarter, barring something kind of really unexpected. So it's certainly a risk, but um, you know the risk from uh, from a recession really looks like to be a 2024 story at this point in time. Jason, if we take inventory of the topics we've covered, 
uh, that being the Fed, the Q2 reporting season. You just spoke about the economic picture, all supportive at the moment for markets, and that's been reflected in performance. We've seen that recently in equity markets, in particular last week. So with that in mind, Jason, what do you expect from the markets from here on out, and how should investors be responding at the moment? Well, the markets have certainly been in kind of a Goldilocks melt-up mode, you know, really going back since, uh, you know, kind of mid-May. Uh, and you can see why the economic data, the Fed, the earnings are all kind of consistent with that. Uh, you know, tail risks that we had cited earlier on, whether it was the debt stream back in June, uh, the possibility of kind of rebuilding the, the Treasury General account that could drain liquidity. Nettie's sort of, you know, potential risks have really materialized and everything else has kind of gone in the direction of markets going higher. Now, what that's left us with is a forward multiple on the S&P that's about 19 and a half. That's expensive, you know, you know by kind of any typical measure. Uh, a lot of variation within that. There's parts that are really expensive. There's other parts of the markets that are, are more uh, kind of you know, around long-term averages. In the near term, there's not a lot of obvious event risks, say, in the next month or so, uh, that we could sort of you know, point to and say this could be a real reason for, for markets to sell off. Maybe one of the biggest risks is that there is some investor complacency kind of you know, setting in. People really do believe that the soft funding you know, could take hold. Uh, which means that if there's any sort of disappointment in the economic data, if you start to see some weakness that investors think, well, maybe this is a sign of actually things are slowing down more than we anticipate, that's not priced in. If the Fed ends up doing one more hike, that's not going to be priced in. Um, so we're seeing, you know, I think the possibility of markets getting a little more extended and then any sort of negative news the first time that we probably would have had in a few months could be a real hiccup for the markets. It would necessarily fundamentally change the the trajectory, but at least kind of you know, create some sort of you know pullback, um, you know, uh, for the markets after it's been continued to grind higher. But at least right now, the direction it fell was probably higher rather than lower, just given the, the lack of obvious catalysts. So then, if we think about what are the sort of the key investment decisions in all this, you know, we can use sort of say you know, look for the equity laggards. Um, you know, the idea that we've recommended is one of our main messages since mid June. One of the ways to play that is looking at equal weighted S&P 500 in the basket. Uh, they, uh, uh, it hasn't really outperformed. In fact, it's really very much in line with the markets overall. Uh, so that to me is one indication the markets fully haven't embraced the idea that there will be a soft landing, that we won't have some slowdown because some of these laggards in the markets and the cyclical parts haven't really kind of really outperformed significantly, you know, in the past couple of months. So that's an area that it still offers you know, some upside for that soft landing scenario. Another key message has been, you know, to buy quality bonds. And now with a 10-year yield back at 4%, this is also a good time to, you know, look for those quality bonds, whether it's in treasuries, high-quality munis, uh, you know, investment-grade corporate bonds or mortgage-backed securities. They're giving you yields of like 5 plus percent. It's likely that these yields are sort of probably near the peak. Uh, and if there's any sort of slowdown, recession concerns, they will give you, you know, sort of some sort of total return boost because of the fall in yields. So those are also relatively attractive. And the final thing is, with volatility in the market's very low, it's not a bad time to think about you know, hedging opportunities, hedging downside. Um, you can get protection pretty cheap. So for those investors who want to lock in some of these gains that we've seen thus far this year, you know, the opportunity in the marketplace right now to do so, even through a year, is pretty attractive. So it's also sort of worth thinking about you know, how to buy some of that protection and lock it in at this point in time. 
Jason, very timely perspective, and thank you for bringing us up to speed on how you're interpreting how the markets have taken shape in recent time, how market conditions might evolve from here, and of course, the guidance when it comes to portfolio positioning. So very insightful as always, Jason. Thank you for joining us here on The Snapshot to begin yet another week, and we look forward to catching up again with you in the week ahead. You're welcome. Have a great week. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.